Good afternoon. My name is Kelly. I'm an alcoholic. And thank you all for being here. Uh, hello, Indiana. <laughs> the Hoosier State, right? Yeah, all right. Hi there, Hoosiers. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida, and I got uh, sober the day before Thanksgiving, 1982. Um, and um, I'm 33 years sober. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Class of 82, and uh, last uh, June I turned 73 years old. And, yeah, I'm, uh, except for major heart attacks, open heart surgeries, uh, reflux uh, acid stuff, and uh, being dead on the operating table twice. I feel as feisty as I ever did. <laughs> I sobered up uh, at a snake pit in Los Angeles, and then I went downhill from there. And I was a bar drinker. I'd been, uh, by the time I got to the snake pit, um, I had been drinking for uh, 22 and a half years. And let me tell you something, you guys. I love country western bars, okay? Oh, 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 Yeah. And I still like those 10 gallon hats today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I drank in a bar uh, in, uh, around Los Angeles. It was uh, in a place called Bell Gardens. Does anybody know where Bell Gardens is? Nobody knows where Bell Gardens is. in the hood is <laughs> where it's at, okay? And I love this bar. You know, I, I go into this bar, and, and, and uh, they had this big mahogany bar as you walked in, and I could, um, you know, perch myself up on one of those bar stools, and they had mirrors behind the bar. And as the night went on, I'd get younger <laughs> and skinnier. And I loved gazing at the one I loved the most in life. And <laughs> in, in, in California, see, um, uh, you know, in order to go out and, in the day, you had to dress like a movie star. You know what I mean? And uh, I wore a big blonde wig. Because I knew blondes had more fun were easier to find in the dark. <laughs> yeah, and um, anyway, um, I, um, I wore a, a costume because in L.A., you know, you want to really dress sharp whenever you go out. And I wore a little black uh, spandex miniskirt. I know none of you are old enough to remember miniskirts, okay? Okay. <laughs> Desiree, no, not you. <laughs> you right now. Okay, <laughs> the cycle has begun to repeat itself. <laughs> Hang on there, people. Um, so anyway, a little short uh, black mini skirt, and I wore um, these black stockings because, you know, black stockings really make your, you know, make your legs look really good, you know. I wore stiletto heels, and uh, I would troll those bars. And in the, in the day, okay, uh, a few people start wearing false eyelashes, and they really made the eyes look good. And I thought, boy, if the eyes look that good, I'm going to buy myself four pairs of false eyelashes. <laughs> and I did. Big tube of surgical glue, you know, because I want those eyelashes to look real in the morning, too. And I put those eyelashes on and stick them on, and I put that big blonde wig on with Long bobby pins, because I wanted that wind to look good in the morning, too, you know. And um, anyway, I go out to the, the chit-chat, and I sit there and perch myself on the bar stool and wait for him to walk in that door. <laughs> and I was sitting there one night, and, and uh, all 
dressed up and ready to go, and uh, he did not walk in that far that night, you know? And it got to be about 20 till 2, and I started uh, shooting my favorite drink. It was tequila gold. <laughs> yeah. And I should have known I was in trouble when I started uh, biting my hand and licking the line. I should have known I was in trouble then. <laughs> And I lived about two blocks away from my watering hole because I like to be, you know, right there, right where the action's at. And that night I shot about uh, 20, 20 some uh, shots of tequila and got in my car to go two blocks home. And here's what happened to me, you know. And it was the first time it had ever happened to me that it was going to be a lot of times happening to me after that. I ended up, the hood is in the middle of Los Angeles, okay? And uh, I leave the bar at 2 o'clock, and the next thing I know, the sun is coming up, and I'm driving down Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah, right along by the beach. And I have no idea where, where I'm at. And I, I thought, well, you know, I'll find a bar, and I'll go in and ask them, where the heck am I? And I'm driving along, all of a sudden, I see this guy on the corner, and he looks like Jesus. And I'm like, oh, my God, did I die, you know? <laughs> Here I am at the beach, you know? I, to this day, I don't remember how I got there. But something must have happened in that car because one of my stiletto heels had kind of broken off. The other stiletto heel had gotten stuck in the floorboard of the car. And I had runs up and down those black nylons. And it was the middle of July, okay? And here I was at the beach. And I found out I was in Laguna Beach is where I was at, okay? White chalky skin showing through black nylons is not a good look for Laguna Beach in July, let me tell you. And um, I pulled the car over, you know, by the side of the road, right by the sand. And, oh, man, I'll tell you, I, I needed to... I needed to just lay down and just, you know, think about this a little bit. You know how we are. We're going to think about things. And the sun was, I mean, it was 7.20 in the morning. The sun was just bright. It was like 84 degrees outside. And I take my arm and I put it over the, off my eyes to block out that sunlight. And um, I, I uh, fell asleep or passed out. And I had this nightmare. And it was my Catholic grandmother giving me the Al-Anon salute. If you ever show, if you ever turn out like your mother, God is going to strike you deaf, dumb, or blind. And with the blind, I came out of that panic-stricken nightmare. And you guys, I was blind. I could not see a thing. I said, that's been my problem. My grandmother raised me. She was a witch. And she had struck me blind. And I got out of that car, and I guess I must have stepped on a couple of those hard bodies that I don't know what they were doing out there at that time in the morning, and they were not very nice to me. So I started running, you know. And as I'm running, my wig leaps off of my head. <laughs> Luckily, though, I had, it, I had it secured by a couple of those long bobby pins, so it just kind of bounced along beside me on the beach. And, um, and then I hear these footsteps running after me. And uh, anyway, I got uh, tackled, and I thought, oh, my God, got tackled by a football player. This could not be bad, you know. <laughs> and this guy, he sits me down on the sand, and he goes, for gosh sakes, would you calm down? Then the same thing happened to my girlfriend, and she's a cheerleader. 
And I thought, I've made the team. <laughs> I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here in Laguna Beach. And I'm going to never go back to Bell Gardens again. I'm just going to hang out with my new friends here. And they can take me from bar to bar and say, this is Kelly. She's blind. Let's buy her a drink. Yeah. That is not what happened, you guys. Sat me down on that sand. He took one thumb and he put it on my upper eyelid. Then he took the other thumb, put it on the bottom eyelid. He very gently pulled my eyelids apart. <laughs> yeah, I guess what happened was that surgical glue had melted and just <laughs> stuck behind my eyes shut, you know. And all I wanted to do was be a diva, you know. And just dumb things happened to me over and over and over and over at nauseam like that. And then uh, um, fast forward, uh, my last drink, okay, uh, my last drink, um, let's see now, it was in Downey, California, okay? Anybody know where Downey, California is? Yeah, all right. You know that police do not know how to treat a lady in Downey, California, right? They woke me up at the crack of 3.20 in the afternoon. <laughs> I had nodded off in the parking lot of a country western bar, okay? And they told me, we do not want female derelicts in our town. You're not welcome here. And they took me to, yeah, thank you, Desiree. I know, I was shocked. And they, and, uh, they took me to the Downey Jail, and uh, it was the day before Thanksgiving, 1982. They took me to that Downey Jail, and they told me, they said, what we're going to do tomorrow is we're going to transport you downtown Los Angeles. And we're going to let you out at 4th and Los Angeles Street. Anybody know where 4th and Los Angeles Street down, in uh, downtown Los Angeles is? Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. And it's not a pleasant place, let me tell you. And uh, anyway, they threw me in that jail cell. It was the coldest time I've ever had in my life. I think they run, like, dry ice through those jail cells. I mean, it was cold. And anyway... They put me in this jail cell, and I tried to tell them, I'm somebody's mother. And they said, oh, really? Well, I'll tell you what, there's a pay phone on the wall. Why don't you go call your kids? And they had me there because my kids had been taken away from me by the great state of California. My two little children, never to be returned to me. And um, I was an unfit mother in the state of California. And that's something I never wanted any of you to know. Because if you knew that, you wouldn't let me in AA either. And uh, so anyway, they throw me in the slammer, right? So they take that aluminum door and they shut it. And the minute that they shut it, I realized that they had mistakenly, okay, locked me up with a lunatic. There was this crazy lady in the, in the jail cell with me. Her eyes were crazy. She was bloated and fat, and oh my goodness, she was hideous. I thought the kindest thing anybody could do would be to kill that woman. And um, anyway, I, I was scared, you know, and I kind of kept an eye on her. And anyway, I was staring at her, and she was staring back at me. And then I thought, well, you know, uh, I'm going to blink. And I blinked an eye. She blinked an eye. I thought, what a copycat. And then I blinked the other eye. She blinked the other eye. And then all of a sudden I got that moment of clarity. <laughs> and I realized it was me staring at me. 
in that aluminum door, and I hadn't seen me in a long time. Hadn't seen me in a long time, because I still remember myself as, as that girl in that spandex skirt in those stiletto heels. And uh, at that moment, I fell on my knees. I fell on my knees, and I begged God to take me home, you know. And um, my friend, um, Polly, oh, by the way, sends her love to all of you, absolutely sends her love to all of you, wants you to know that uh, she's home taking care of her husband, and he's cancer-free. David's cancer-free. Yes, yes. My friend Polly, she says, if you don't remember your first drink, you might not have had it yet. Oh, I remember my first drink. <laughs> um, I, had, um, I had this boy next door type, okay, named Pete. He had asked me out on a date. And Pete was uh, captain of the football team. He was blue-eyed, blonde hair, just absolutely popular and gorgeous. And uh, I, I was so thrilled to go out on a date with him. And he goes, uh, come on, we'll go dancing. Now, I'm a fool for dancing. I love to go dancing. So I said, okay. So we go to a bar. That's where we go. And he sits me down at the end of the bar, okay? And he goes, I'm going to order you a uh, rum and coke. Anybody in here drink rum and coke? All right, all right, there we go. So uh, in a chimney glass, I'll never forget it. And I sat down at the end of the bar, and I looked around at the people there, and I could tell they hated me. And they'd look over at me, and then they'd kind of look at one another, and then, and I knew they were talking about me. And um, I sat there, and I drank that drink, and then he got me another one. And I drank that drink, and I looked up, and all of a sudden, all the people in that bar, they were smiling at me. And I thought, wow, they liked me. And then I had my third, third drink. And after I drank that, I looked up at him and I go, I love these people. Not only do I love them, I'm going to tell every one of them that I love them and we're going to be friends the rest of our lives, you know. And that was the feeling that I chased and chased and chased for the next 22 and a half years. And um, that night, remember my first drink, uh, I had sex for the first time. Uh-huh. Got pregnant. <laughs> Her name is Tracy Lynn, my daughter. And, oh, yeah, I remember my first drink. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then uh, fast forward a little bit. Um, one day, um, uh, well, Pete did the right thing, okay? Pete did the right thing. Uh, he and I got married. We got married in Las Vegas, and, uh, and the race was on. Um, we were both uh, we were both drinking. And... Um, Anyway, I had my daughter, Tracy Lynn, and um, when I was six and a half months pregnant with my son, I was at home, and all of a sudden, this real loud knock. You know how the police have these sticks that they bang on your door? And that real loud knock comes on uh, our apartment door. And I got up, and I opened it up, and there's two sheriffs, two L.A. sheriffs standing there at the door. And they saw my condition, and they said, can we come in, and will you sit down? And I said, uh-oh, the punch is going to be bad. And uh, I just looked at him and I said, whatever it is, just tell me. Just tell me. And he says, well, your husband was killed in a fatal car accident. And I remember just falling to the floor and going into shock. And I, coming out of that 
shock. I, it was like as if all my life, everybody that I had loved and cared about was taken from me. Everybody. And I made, a, I made an agreement with myself right then. I'm never going to love anybody again as long as I live because it's too painful to love anybody. Never going to love anybody again. And um, anyway, uh, uh, back at the... Um, Back at the snake pit, well, I got sentenced to Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a judge in, in Downey, California, his name is Judge Leon Emerson. And I want to make a note of him today because of the fact he and Bud McDonald, they are the two people who created the court card. Okay? And do you guys use court cards here in Indiana? Do you? Is that a yes? Okay. But McDonald and Judge Emerson created that court card, and but they would take people like me, and instead of putting me in jail, they would send me to a place called the Hole in the Ground in uh, Huntington Park, California. And as long as we had that court card signed, we wouldn't go to jail. So uh, I, uh, Judge, uh, Judge Emerson just passed away, and I kind of wanted to honor him a little bit today by uh, mentioning that little known, little known fact about the whole synonymous. Anyway, um, I got sentenced AA. I went to the snake pit. Now, I slid right in there with snake pit, and let me tell you something. I fit right in there. The snake pit was bilingual, and I was bilingual. I spoke Bulgarian English, <laughs> fit right in. And <clears throat> in the snake pit, there was this guy. His name was Merle. And Merle screamed louder than my head because I was self-absorbed, self-obsessed, self-self-self. And I could be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and never hear a thing. I was untouched by any kind of recovery. <laughs> but Merle would get through to me because he talked so loud. And uh, anyway, uh, I was told whenever I uh, got there that, uh, you know, that we have to be self-supporting through our own contributions. And I was uneducated. I had no skills. And there was this little crazy guy that used to run around there and his name was Steve, and um, and Steve always was kind to me. And, and um, anyway, he said, to me, Steve said to me, he says, Kelly, find yourself something that you would do whether you got paid for it or not, and go and be the best at it that you can be. And see, whenever friends of mine in AA, in early AA, whenever they would want to go and take a look at apartments to rent. I wanted to go with them and see the apartments. In those days, I would get the newspaper out, take a highlighter, highlight, I'd call up, make appointments for them, you know, and I'd just be so thrilled and go with them to look at apartments. I love doing that. Anybody that wanted to go look at apartments, I, I, I'm their girl, you know. And so, um, anyway, uh, it was suggested that I, I get a job and, and um, become self-supporting. And so I looked at Steve one day, and I said, Steve, what do you do? He goes, I'm a real estate broker. And I thought, boy, that crazy guy can be a real estate broker. Anybody can. <laughs> so I applied to the state of uh, uh, California. And um, whenever I was uh, I, whenever I was a year sober, the state of California gave me a real estate license. And I went to work in that city of Downey. <laughs> All right? <laughs> yeah. Power to the powerless. <laughs> And the Downey Board of Realtors, uh, my first year there, made me the chair lady of Make Downey Beautiful Committee. <laughs> and um, anyway, I was at the, I was at the uh, snake pit one day, and uh, 
Uh, by the way, when I'd walk into a meeting, I was so full of energy, I'd sit down and people would move away from me. <laughs> yeah, just move away from me. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, nobody in Downey would sponsor me. And one day this little lady, Eileen, little tiny Catholic school teacher, she comes into the meeting, right? And she goes, Kelly, uh, Thursday night, women's club, there's going to be a speaker. And uh, uh, we want you to show up there. And I go, me? Really? Wow. And she says, yeah. And they set me right in the front seat, like where Desiree's sitting right now. Says, uh, we're going to sit you right in the front seat. And I was crazier than a, I mean, you think I'm crazy now. You should have saw me my first year of sobriety. I mean, I was all over the place. And, and um, anyway, they sat me down in the front row, and the speaker got up there, and he talked about how he had uh, been in the Texas Insane Asylum, and, and uh, that he had gotten out of the Insane Asylum, and that he had electroshock treatments, you know. And now he was the executive director of the Midnight Mission, you know, and had been for a long time. And heck, I had had 37 jobs before I got the Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't have anything continuous. And I thought, wow, you know, if he can stay sober, maybe there's hope for me. And uh, after the meeting, uh, he came over to me and he goes, kid, nobody here in Downey, you know, wants to sponsor you. And I go, I know. He said, why don't you give me a call tomorrow, 213-624-9258. Call me up tomorrow. And I go, okay. And he says, call me at 1115. And I go, okay. So I called him up the next day, and he says, uh, yeah, come on down. Uh, come on down to the night mission. I went down there, and uh, he looked at me. He says, kid, what's your big problem today? I said, oh, let me tell you what my big problem is. I said, I, I think I'm going to go into a mental institution sober, and I am terrified. And he goes, well, i got good news for you, kid. I go, what's that? He says, they don't put people in mental institutions for being crazy like you. I go, they don't? He says, no, they're only going to lock you up if you act crazy. So don't act crazy, and you'll never get locked up. And he says, and by the way, would you please start dressing like a little lady? You can do that better than anybody. But you see, the keys of the, the keys of my disease are locked inside of me. You know, unless I feel hope and unless I feel willing, you know, I don't open up to anybody. And he had a method with me, and his method was—I mean, it, it was the most love I had ever been given by another human being on this earth. I can tell you this. His method with me was to take things away from me, and then I'd run and try to take them back. So he told me, he says, look, you're one of the people, Kelly, you're so crazy. You're going to have to stay in, you're going to have to stay in service the rest of your life. So he says, the steps aren't going to work for you. I thought, well, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to study those steps. Uh-huh. I'm going to study those steps. I'm going to start right now. Boy, I went and I studied them, and I was all oh, right into the steps and that. And then one Wednesday night, I got my opportunity, and I walked up to him. And I go, you know, those steps. And he goes, yeah, Kelly, what about those steps? I said, those steps are so wonderful. I've been studying them for quite a while now. 
Those steps are so wonderful. I think everybody in the world should work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he turned around and looked at me and he put his hand on my shoulder. He says, you know, Kelly, the people in Alcoholics Anonymous wish you would work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> so anyway, I'm working the steps and everything and uh, um, things are, uh, you know, here I am, okay? I'm in service, right? I put the first women and children's recovery home together. It's called the Foley House in Whittier. I had such a privilege to do that because I had my children taken away from me. So now here's a venue where women don't have to lose their children. They can go to a recovery house and take their children with them, and they can all recover. The lady, the, the, the woman learns folk rehab. Uh, then she goes to an apartment where she's living with other sober people. I mean, the whole program, we, we put it together, me and Bud McDonald, and put that program together, and it was the first ever women and children's recovery home in the world. <laughs> and uh, it's called the Foley House in Whittier. And I felt so privileged to be a part of that. And I remember um, the first Christmas at the Foley House. Um, we had 18 little children in that home. And we had no money for Christmas presents, none whatsoever. And uh, so Bud told me, he says, well, Kelly, you know, organize an event, raise money. And I go, I don't know how. And he's, ah, people like to play bingo. You know, have a bingo game and a barbecue and invite, invite a bunch of people, you know. Make little tickets up, some for five bucks a piece, you know. And I did, and I went in the snake pit, and I sold those tickets. And Merle and all his buddies bought those tickets, you know. And they came to the Holy House, and we had that first, it was the first annual bingo game and barbecue. And we raised enough money to buy each one of those 18 little children one gift. And he says, Kelly, you're the one that's going to go do the Christmas shopping. And so I sat down with each little child, and I said, tell me one little gift that you really, really want Santa to bring you. I felt so privileged doing that because I couldn't be with my own children. I mean, I would go to malls, and I would look at children, my children's age, and I would think to myself, is that my babies? Are those my children? I had no idea where they were. I had no idea if they were loved, if they were cared for. I had no idea whatsoever. And I told my sponsor, I says, oh my gosh, I can't stay sober because I keep looking for my children. I keep looking for my children. And he goes, Kelly, your job today is to be of maximum service to other people's children. He says, if you throw yourself into helping other people's children to an intensity, I'm going to promise you that somebody is taking care of your children to the same intensity. Oh, boy, did he know how to work me. And I did. I threw myself into that fully. I threw myself into sponsoring people. And anyway, uh, Bud McDonald, he dressed up like Santa Claus. And uh, we had this big bag of toys. And this one little guy, Joey, he won a little red wagon. And, of course, it couldn't fit in the Santa's bag, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm standing in the back of the Foley house. And there's Bud up there. And as each little child comes up to get their toy, Bud reaches into that bag and pulls out that one little toy that that little child wanted. And you can just see the light go on in these children's eyes. I mean, it was amazing. And then little Joey goes up and he looks around and he realizes there's no little red wagon for him. And he looked around and Santa says, little Joey, what would you like for Christmas? He said, 
well, Santa, I don't want a low red wagon. And at that time, the executive director of the house uh, walked across the room and reached into her office, and she pulls out this little red wagon, pulls it across the floor, and little Joey's eyes just lit up. And I'm standing in the back of the room, and I'm crying like a baby. And at that time, it was a turning point for me. And I said, God, no matter what it is you want me to do in Alcoholics Anonymous, I will do. And my friend, uh, I was uh, the president of the auxiliary board there, and my friend, uh, Lucretia, and her husband were vice presidents. And Lucretia and John were next to me, and Lucretia threw her arms around me and says, all right, you tough old broad, brought you to it. Your knees happen. And I go, oh, my God, yeah. Well, that lasted for maybe 90 seconds, okay. <laughs> and then I started looking around, and I started seeing everybody getting into relationships. I wasn't allowed to date yet, okay? Yeah. Uh, my sponsor wouldn't let me date. It wasn't because of me. It was because he didn't want any of the men in the group harmed. Yeah. And then I'd go to the uh, Bellflower Big Book on Monday night. I figure, oh, there's a bunch of sick ones there. That maybe I could snag one of them and then you go, see you, Kelly. You know. So the word was out in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. And uh, no matter what I did, no matter how cute I was or what I did or how feminine I acted, uh-uh, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody would take me out or ask me on a date. And I got a bit of a resentment. And uh, I did not talk to my sponsor about this, but by this time, you know, I'm in real estate. I know how to market. And I know how to market myself, okay? So um, what I did was uh, I took out an ad in the L.A. Times. And those days I had red hair. It said, feisty redhead, looking for a 12-step relationship. And I got letters, okay? Some of them were like on little yellow pieces of paper, and they were all in pencil. They had a lot of smiley faces on them. They all looked like they were written by the same person. And then I got a bunch, and they were from the uh, local, uh, not, not board. <laughs> and one of them said, uh, I know how to do the Texas two-step, and I'm sure you could teach me the 12-step. And I thought, yeah, right. And then I got this one little letter, and it was from uh, it was from a guy, and he sent me a uh, glamour shot of himself. And he wrote a little note, and he says, "I'm in a 12-step program too. Give me a call if you want." So I called him up, and I says, uh, "What 12-step program are you in? Because you know." I'm going to the uh, godfather of all the AA meetings in the world over on the west side, you know. And, and uh, anyway, uh, uh, so I go, well, what little um, 12-step program are you in? He goes, I'm an Al-Anon. <laughs> I go, man, I'm from the heaven. Yes, I got me an Al-Anon. Oh, oh I was so happy, you know. I was thrilled, you know. And, and um Anyway, uh, our first date was at the uh, Bellflower Big Book on uh, Monday night. And uh, anyway, there was a bunch of uh, really, now 
that's our big book. has a really drop-dead gorgeous one in there, okay? And so I dressed up that night, and they were all out in front of the place, and they were greeting, and I thought, well, I don't want any of these hotties to snag them, you know? So I got out in front of them a couple feet and started, you know, greeting too. And I kept my eye on the street, you know, and uh, we're, Bellflower Big Book's like in a blue-collar neighborhood, you know. All of a sudden, I see this big, baby blue Cadillac coming slowly down the street. It seemed like he was looking for an address, you know. And then he pulls over, and he gets out of the car. He's got a three-piece Hickey Freeman suit on, shoots his cuffs, got his hair styled, his fingernails polished, and I ran over and snagged him. (laughs) And we've been married 23 years.
Because, yeah, Bill and Bob, they were uh, sitting at the snake pit one night, and, and uh, Bob said to Bill, he goes, um, hey, Bill, you think there's AA a in heaven? And Bill looks at him and goes, I, I don't know. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, whoever, you know, dies first, um, let's, let's get a hold of the other one and let them know if there's AA in heaven. And he goes, okay. Well, anyway, Bob dies first. And one night, Bill's sitting in his little efficiency apartment all by himself, and he hears this voice, and he goes, Bill, Bill. And he goes, who is that? Who is that? He goes, Bill, it's Bob. He goes, Bob, where are you? He says, Bill, I'm in heaven. He goes, you're in heaven? And he says, Bob, Bill, I've got good news, and I've got bad news for you. What do you want first? He said, well, give me the good news. He says, the good news is there is AA in heaven. And Bill says, well, that's the good news. What possibly could be bad? He goes, well, you're the Saturday night speaker. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, I had my first belly laugh ever in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I laughed, and I laughed, and I laughed. And this lady comes over by me, and she goes, honey, you're going to be okay now. You're going to be okay now. And you know what? I knew she was telling me the truth, that I was going to be okay. You know? And I walked out of there, and and, uh, and that was another turning point for me. I knew that the laughter healed, healed my soul, you know? And um, anyway, um, I go to the speaker meeting. There's a guy by the name of Mac, and he's from the 502 Club. Now, if you're in, if you're in Southern California, and you get stuck, and you get a... DUI, it's called a 502. That's what they call it in Southern California, 502. I tell you, I had so many 502s, I had I had seven of them. <laughs> I thought my zip code was 90502. But this guy, Mac, he's, he's speaking that night, and he's going, if you're in this meeting, and you're an alcoholic, and you've got unresolved issues, you too can stay sober. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, how, how? And this lady next to me says, calm down, calm down. And he goes, page 98 of the big book. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to get you one of those big books. I've got to remember this, page 98, page 98, page 98. And I go, what's it say? What's it say? And he goes, and on page 98 of the big book, it says to... Trust God, clean house, and work with others. And I'm like, trust God, clean house, trust God, clean house. She goes, sweetheart, we'll get you a big book right after the meeting. (laughs) And that all of a sudden it gave me hope that maybe, you know, being the unfit mother and never getting my children back, that maybe, maybe, maybe. And I worked intensively with other alcoholics. Well, anyway, what happened was... um, um, finally, um, Mike and I, we got married. We got married over at the synagogue. We were, I'm Catholic, by the way, okay? Now, my children, okay, uh, were raised by Pentecostals, okay? And my family is Catholic, okay? And they were raised by Pentecostals, okay? And, um, anyway, uh, uh, they also had a court order that if I ever found out where my children were at, 
that I would not be allowed within 100 feet of them. I had no idea where in the world these children were at. And, um, but uh, anyway, fast forward, I married Mike. He's got two boys. They're teenagers. I get to be a stepmom, okay? And these kids are taking me around like they've got me on a collar, you know? This is my stepmom, you know? I go, yeah. And um, anyway, I learned to be a stepmom to those two boys. And, uh, and we, put that, we put that marriage together. And um, after a while, uh, Mike decided that it wasn't going to work out for us. And so um, he took off, and I wasn't allowed to know where he was at. So um, <laughs> I uh, took one of his little Alamon sisters out to lunch one day. It would be a nice restaurant. And, um, you know, when you're a con artist and you're from the streets, I'm sorry, you know, you're going to do what you got to do. And I says, uh, yeah, I says, that's so nice about Mike's new job. And she goes, oh, you know, isn't that wonderful that he got transferred to St. Petersburg, Florida? <laughs> I said, yeah, isn't that something, you know, that AAA transferred him clear out there. He said, oh, yeah, he was so excited about it. He told the whole group about it. I said, that's nice, honey, got to go. And <laughs> So I, uh, I go home and uh, I call up Triple A in St. Petersburg, Florida. He had floor duty that day. <laughs> he answered the phone. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I told him, I said, you know, we, we've got to talk. And well, he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll send you a ticket and you can come out for Thanksgiving. I said, okay. When I went across that Howard Franklin Bridge, you know, I come from smog-filled Los Angeles, okay? I mean, uh, the traffic on the 405 is bumper to bumper, and you're lucky if you get to work without being shot at, okay? And I get that, I, I land down at 635 in the morning, I'm going across that Howard Franklin Bridge, and there's these lofty clouds up there and blue skies, and I thought I'd die in one heaven. I go across that bridge, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to, whatever I have to do to stay here in Florida, you know, I'm going to do. So, anyway, we sat down to talk, and I said, look, we're married, okay, and uh, we should be together. And you're living out here, I should live out here. Wherever you're at, I belong to. And, uh, anyway, uh, we had a real nice weekend. I made sure I was really nice to him. So when I was leaving to go back to California, and I'm going down this uh, people mover, right? He's up there waving. He goes, you want to come back for Christmas? I go, yeah. <laughs> and the I got him. <laughs> so I go back to California. I sold the house. I sold everything I had. I had a lot of his stuff that I was storing in the garage. Got rid of it all, too. <laughs> And uh, whenever I came back for Christmas, I had uh, uh, two little suitcases, but I had packed up a bunch of stuff and FedExed it to his address. And when he picked me up, uh, FedEx hadn't arrived yet. And, <laughs> and by the time we got from the airport to his uh, condo on uh, Tierra Verde, there was all these FedEx packages packed up along, along the walkway. And he goes, what is that? And I says, oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> 
I'm here permanently. <laughs> so I went to work. Um, I got my real estate license in Florida, and I went to work in Florida, and uh, Mike and I worked everything out. And, um, uh, but, but still, you know, um, at night, I'd wake up like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and where are my children, you know? Where could they be? Where in the world could they be? Are they loved? Are they cared for? And, and uh, you know, uh, and there was just this big hole in my soul that no matter how much service I did, no matter how much work I did, it, and I was just service, service, service. And anyway, um, I'm in real estate, and I'm doing this big, big mansion at this designer driveway. And anyway, um, uh, it was... Um, 2001, August 2nd, and there was 135 degrees of heat coming out of that designer driveway and my big Cadillac parked up there. And after the open house, I'm down at the bottom of the curb and I'm picking up my open house signs and I hear this big bang. And I look up and here's my car coming at me like a freight train. And I tried to get out of the way and I didn't. And I, I backed away like this and the car... Um, uh, took my left leg and, and pulled me right under the undercarriage, and it uh, smashed. It uh, smashed up my left leg. Just smashed, uh, you know, smashed it. Uh, did a tip fib on the right. Rolled up my body. Uh, pulled my uh, rib cage out of my sternum. Crushed my lungs. And at that moment, I knew the tire was going to. Oops, sorry. Uh, run over my uh, head. And at that minute. My whole life in AA went in front of me, my whole life, just in slow motion. And I realized that everything that my sponsor had told me in AA had come true. Everything that, that they told me I would get, I would get an extended family. I would have children that I could be part of their lives, you know, that I could have I made a difference here on this earth, you know, by being a good woman and um I was ready to go, and then the car ran over my head. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm not going to freak out the newcomers, okay? I, I don't know. Desiree, stay with me, baby. <laughs> I'm not going to freak out the newcomers or anything and, you know, tell you that I had the white light experience and and, um, and that I felt like all my, um, all my emotional pain had been taken from me. And I felt like I had been wrapped in warm satin, and I was on my way. And um, I got right up there, and uh, very embarrassed to tell you, I got rejected from heaven. <laughs> yeah, I got sent back real fast, and um, they told me, they said, uh, you can't come in yet. Um, if you come in yet, you, you would have had no purpose on this earth. And um, anyway... My eyes open up in the ER, and there's this, this nurse, David, big brown eyes, right? And he's looking over me, and all of a sudden, I come back alive, right? This guy freaks out. She's alive! She's not alive! And they, they're taking me down the hallway, and uh, they're going to give me uh, surgery immediately. And uh, I thought, you know, I know who David is. I've watched Touched by an Angel. He's the one that's going to walk me into heaven. I need to be escorted in, you know. But that's not what happened. And um, I ended up in uh, ICU. Um, 
all kinds of tubes and everything going in and out of me. I'm in ICU after the uh, operation. What they did is they put me back together. They put me back together with titanium rods and screws. So I got titanium rods and screws everywhere, okay? And um, anyway, um, I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, my Florida sponsor, Chuck Schultz, he's about six, does anybody know Chuck? Anyway, he's about six foot eight, string beating, okay, from the south. And Chuck's, Chuck walks into ICU, and uh, I said, what are you doing here? And he's got this book underneath his arm. And I go, Chuck, what's that book that you've got underneath your arm? He goes, Kelly, it's a 12 and 12. Obviously, you don't know what it is. And I go, Chuck, I says, uh, what are you doing? And he said, well, Kelly, now that we've slowed you down enough, okay, we're going to work the steps six and seven while you're here in the hospital. I said, well, Chuck, I'm dying. And he goes, Kelly, it's never too late. <laughs> so we worked steps six and seven in there, and uh, um, I got out of the hospital after six and a half weeks of physical torturous. Okay, they put me back together. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, um, I go home and never call your realtor on her landline. She'll never be there, okay? I always call her on her cell phone. I'm, I'm sitting at home in my landline. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> bless you. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I, I answer the landline, and it's this lady from uh, California. She says, Kelly, we'd like to invite you out to California to speak at Bud McDonald's 50th uh, anniversary. I said, oh, honey, I can't travel. I'm a gimp, and uh, I can't travel. I can't do that. She says, Kelly... I was at the Foley house when you got up crying, saying whatever you're asked to do in Alcoholic Synonymous, you're going to do. And she said, besides that, you were sponsoring me then. She says, so, go, do you have a computer? I go, yeah. She says, go on the computer, get yourself an e-ticket. She says, and let them know you're a gift. They'll put you in the front of the line. So I went on the computer. Now, if you haven't been on your computer for six and a half weeks, you got a lot of emails, okay? And they told me, they said, they'll send me a ticket to my email. So I'm going through, delete, 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 delete. All of a sudden, I just stop. And there was an email from somebody with my son's birth name. And I sat there, and I opened it up. And this is what it said. Did I find you? Is this you? And I emailed him back. And I said, I wanted him to know I was a good woman. I emailed him back and I go, Yeah, you found me. And I want you to know that I'm almost 20 years sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he emailed me right back and he goes, well, you want you to know I'm only six months sober in the program. Yep, all the time. Yeah, it's an amazing program. Reaches everybody everywhere. And uh, I said, well, I don't know if, you know, you want to communicate with me or what. Because I have to fly out to L.A. You know, I didn't know where in the world he was. And I said, I have to fly out to L.A. to speak at this old-timer's um, birthday party, 50th birthday party, he goes, well, while you're out in L.A., after 
be speaking and rent a car. And uh, come down to the Newport Alano Club. I'll be waiting for you. Yeah, and I got my car and I drove down. Uh, I drove down Newport Boulevard. And when I got to the corner of Thirty Second, there was this hyper kid walking back and forth on the corner. I go, that's my boy. <laughs> and I leaped out of the car as best I could, you know, with a walker, and <laughs> put my arms around him. I haven't let go. And uh, we, we, we went for uh, bowl soup that day, and uh, he said to me, he says, uh, look, your daughter loathes you. She cannot stand them how a mother could abandon her children like you did. Uh, she wishes that you would put you put in a dungeon and kept there the rest of your life. And uh, so I want to have a relationship with you, but if you think you're going to have a relationship with me to get to her, it's not going to happen. And uh, I said, oh, Tim, I'll take what I can get. I'll take what I can get. I get in my car, I'm on the 405, and I'm going back to LAX to fly back to St. Petersburg. And my cell phone rings, and in those days, you could answer a phone. <laughs> now you can't, you know, they don't let you on the freeway, but I answered the phone, and it was a young lady. She says, is this Terry? And nobody had called me Terry for a long time. I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> I said, yes, it is. She said, this is your daughter, Tracy. And before you go back to Florida, I need to talk to you. And I said, of course. I hung up the phone. I called my sponsor right away. He says, you go with your hat in your hand. You've got two ears and one mouth. You listen and you listen. That little girl's been injured and she needs to talk to you. You listen to what she has to say. And we met and for uh, we met at a restaurant for five and a half hours. We pulled the walls down between us. And what she had told me that had happened was that she belonged to a church called Saddleback Church in Orange County. And there was a pastor there who believed in the recovery program. And she had a disease that was killing her. It was called anorexia nervosa. And uh, she couldn't nourish herself because all her life, people told her, you're just like your mother, you're just like your mother, you're just like your mother. And she couldn't nourish herself. And um, they had this one weekend, and they suggested that she went for this weekend. It was going to be a seminar held by uh, a married couple, two people. And what they were going to do is they were going to go through this seminar, and they suggested that she be there. And they brought her in, brought her right up in front of Desiree City tonight, I mean today. And uh, uh, the couple that got up to do the um, uh, deal up there asked for a volunteer. And her friends pushed her up on stage. And they says, uh, this is a forgiveness seminar. And uh, who is it that, uh, that you resent, that, that you, you can't get over resenting? And she looked at him and she goes, my first mother. She abandoned me, my first mother. And... Um, Anyway, the lady says to her, well, you never have to contact your birth mother. This isn't about that. This is about getting you over it. It has nothing to do with your mother. It has to do with getting you over it. We're going to get you over it today. And Tracy agreed to let the woman help her. And so the lady looked at her and she says, okay, what's your birth mother's name? She goes, Teresa Kelly. And the lady looked at her she goes, Teresa Kelly from Downey, California? And her husband John were doing the forgiveness.
goodness, Kokia. My friends from the Foley House. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And Lucretia looks at her and she goes, in your case, you need to get a hold of your mother. <laughs> and um, so Tracy sat there and, um, and anyway, I left there and uh, whenever uh, I walked out of there, that hole in my gut had just closed up and I walked out of there a free woman that day. But I was so emotional, I forgot to ask her if she wanted to, you know, my contact information. By the way, my contact information, a lot of you asked for it, it's 727-692-5931. Call me anytime, please. But anyway, I called her and I said, um, uh, because, you know, modern technology, I had her, uh, she, she, she always runs late to everything. And so she kept calling me, telling me she was running late, running late. I had her number in my phone, so I pushed that number, and I called her back, and I said, Tracy, I don't know if you want to have my contact information, but I, I want you to have it. She said, oh, I'm so glad you called. Before you go back to St. Petersburg, would you like to meet your grandbabies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I met my little Blake and my little Warren, and my daughter told me, she says, I've got to tell you, she says, um, i got to ask you something. And she said, this is real important for my recovery. I said, honey, anything, anything. She said, will you forgive me? I said, forgive you. Will you forgive me? I said, forgive you for what? She said, forgive me for hating you and loathing you and bad-mouthing you all these years. I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I said, oh, honey, I forgive you. I said, you know what? In fact, I forgive everybody. I forgive everybody that's ever done anything to me. I forgive everybody near, everybody far. Anybody in the future that screws over me, I forgive you. I forgive everybody. And um, anyway, today, um, my little grandchildren, they adore me. They call me Grandma ATM. <laughs> Whatever it takes, okay? Please don't judge me, okay? And last year, and I'm going to close with this, last year we had a big family reunion, okay? And all the Pentecostals came. And all us Catholics came. Okay? You know, the world needs to take lessons from Alcoholics Anonymous. We all come together. We all come together in harmony. And that's how it was. There was 50 of us got together for a family reunion. All the people that were involved with my children and my grandchildren, we all came together and we loved one another. And I'm so looking forward to the next family reunion. Thank you so much for letting me share.